Good day. Welcome to Shepherd the Sheep. On today's podcast, Gina and I are going to be interviewing author Drew Dick regarding his new book and life and walking with Christ. Special thanks again always to Anthony, uh, our guitarist, for providing that intro riff. Uh, So thank you. So again, we're back today, podcast. uh, Author Drew Dick, who just wrote a book, Just Show Up, which is uh, Cornerstone's November book of the month, How Small Acts of Faithfulness Change Everything. And uh, reading this book is an excellent book that uh, definitely uh, fits in with what Gino and I and the elders have been trying to teach Cornerstone that... Uh, your theology is not complete until you learn how to have wisdom and learn how to how to really start to put things into effect. And so, uh, this book's very helpful with that. So we're going to talk a little bit about it, and uh, as we always do, we're going to go where the conversation takes us. But Drew, it's good to have you on the show today. Uh, thanks for Man, being it's here. Good to be with you guys. Absolutely, it's been too long, Jason. As we were talking about last time we hung out, I think it was like eight years ago, eating burgers in Pasadena, or was it? L.A. somewhere? Yeah, yeah no, Pasadena. Pasadena. Anyway, yeah. Was it Pasadena? Yeah. Yeah. Slater 50-50. Slater's, yes. Yeah. yeah. Those were some good, good burgers. See, but now we got okay. Slater in Vegas. Hmm. Oh, man, we well, got, you guys got everything there. I know, I know. But you're you're near Portland. I am, yeah. Just yeah. north of Portland, Oregon. Yep. And uh, I, you know, they say the motto is, keep Portland weird. Yes. And I, <laughs> I like to think I'm keeping it more normal, driving my minivan around. <laughs> So. <laughs> do, do they like look at you funny when they see you in the minivan? They're like, "What is going oh, yeah. on?" Wow. No, well, not funny. It's, it's hostility, man. It's like you know, you're one of the breeders. You got these kids, and so uh, you're. Uh, <laughs> you. I honestly, I think on the back of your book, where where it like kind of gives you a little mini bio, it should be Drew Dick, comma breeder. <laughs> <laughs> I'll add that to my social media. Um, <laughs> I might get some weird questions about that, but <laughs> people are thinking he has ten kids right now. <laughs> yeah, right. I only have three, so I, yeah. But for Portland, that might as well be ten. Yeah, because, uh, yeah. there are more dog parents, I think, in Portland than than parent parents. But oh, anyway, boy. yeah. You ask for a kids menu, and they give you a dog treat, and you're like, no, 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 no that's not what I said. <laughs> Oh, that's great. So, Drew, you're originally from Canada, if I remember correctly. Oh, man, you had to out me just like that, huh? Yeah, I am. I'm Canadian. <laughs> oh, that's great. Um, <laughs> you know, I saw someone last night in the GOP debate was calling for uh, us to build a wall on the northern border to keep, <laughs> I don't know, to keep the Canadians out. I don't, it's just huh. wise because, yeah, I came down in my early 20s to the States. That's what we call it in Canada, the States. And uh, I was coming down for six months, I thought, and here I am 22 years later. Um, I married uh, a lovely American woman, Grace, and here I am. So, And I've lost my Canadian accent. I don't know if you can hear that, but 
when I when I go home, they say I sound like a Southern politician. Uh, not a lot of yeah, yeah, not a lot of Canadian street cred left. There's a there's a small hint of it, I think. Hmm. Yeah, it's in there. It's yeah, in there. It comes there. out. Yeah, at a certain point. You're actually <laughs> so that that's interesting. You're actually our second Canadian because we've had Drew Weeby on. Oh. Wow. Or Another Darren, Darren, Darren oh, would be, oh, oh, be mad at you. <laughs> yeah, I know. Yeah. So, yeah, people always say like, "Hey, I, you know, my friend Bill, he's Canadian too," and I'm like, "Well, you know, there's, there's quite a few of us up there." So, <laughs> I can only imagine. That's those are always my favorite. The uh, the the American perceptions of other countries. Um, oh man. <laughs> I think usually my joke for Canadians is like, what was your favorite way to prepare moose? <laughs> <laughs> I didn't eat moose. I only rode them. Okay. Right, so that, wait, what's the punchline? <laughs> well, oh, it's, just, a, it's just a perception. Oh, that, okay. that, I thought that was an know. actual joke. See, no, you, no, you no, no. That. It's just a perception. That, that, that was a really great like line there. Yeah. <laughs> what's a Canadian's oh. favorite way to prepare moose? Yeah. Well, when we moved to California, um, everyone in California is like, you're from Oklahoma. And I was like, yeah. And they're like, Oh, did you like ride a horse and live on a ranch? And so I started asking him like, I don't know. Do you pan for gold? Like <laughs> what, what kind of question is this? Like, Oh, it's funny. So, all right, Drew, you got three kids been married for how long? Man, uh, 20 years, three kids. Wow. Um, yeah, pretty young kids, though. We had enough time, just the two of us, to kind of get set in our ways and selfish, and then the kids came along. Um, so I have a 12-year-old boy, a 9-year-old uh, girl, and a 5-year-old girl. Oh, that's great. So we're we're in the thick of it, man. It's awesome, though. And I work from home, so I you know, have to try to keep them out of my home office, which is always an adventure. Right. Um, so if you, hear, if you hear a squeal or a laugh or a scream in the background, don't be alarmed. No, kids. we welcome it. Uh, cause every now and then on the podcast, you'll hear one of my kids squeal or the, do- or the dog bark. She likes to bark during the middle of the podcast. Yeah. Right. Yeah. That's always, that's how she does it. So, oh, that's great. Okay. And then, uh, did you meet your wife while you were in seminary or? No, um, I was actually working for my brother and met her through him and, um, we got married, uh, in Portland here. And then ended up uh, moving to Pasadena, where I went to seminary. And we've lived all over the place. So then from there, you know, just following jobs, we went to Florida for a couple of years. Then I was in the um, Chicago area. I'm careful not to say Chicago because people will say, well, where did you live in Chicago? And I say Wheaton. And they go, that's not Chicago. Because you know Chicago. Um, but we lived out there for like seven, eight years. And then we came back to the Northwest. So it's kind of like a full circle. Um but man, it's been good. And, you know, I, my day job, I work as an editor and I write books, you know, um, as well, but I work as an editor for Moody Publishers. And the way I kind of see it is that I'm helping create resources that hopefully equip pastors and other ministry folks that are in the trenches of ministry. Um, and so I feel, yeah, it's like, you know, I, I think back in my own spiritual formation and books have been so crucial for me at different junctures of my life. Uh, and just helping me deepen my relationship with God and understand the world differently. And so I feel honored to get to wake up and do that for a living. Yeah, that's great. You know, I think uh, that's why I couldn't remember if I'd met you when I was working for the bookstore, but I think it was, I think I'd met Adam working for the bookstore. And so Adam connected us because I had church planning and 
uh, talking to you and just kind of hanging out that night. And, um, you know, one thing I'm going to, I'm going to pick your brain a little bit because one thing I heard a lot in the bookstore and I would always try to tell people that the perception is not what they think it is. Um, but, but people would say something like, uh, Oh, how can, how can that book be good if so-and-so endorsed the book? And I always try to tell them like the authors don't always get to actually pick who ends up on the covers of the book and the endorsements. Right. Yeah. And so right. A lot of times the publishers do that to try to get the book out into other circles. If, if I understand that correctly. Yeah. You know, it's, it varies a little bit, but you're right. Often it's the publisher that reaches out to someone being like, Hey, can you endorse this book? And unfortunately, I mean, this is where we got to be careful in publishing you can be a little unscrupulous and go, let's just find people that have, that are famous or have big platforms to vouch for this book or this author. And hopefully that'll get it more attention. Right. (laughs) And first of all, I don't know if that always works, but secondly, that's a little dangerous because as we've seen in recent years, you see a lot of people that, you know, maybe you didn't know it at the time, but they either leave the faith or have some huge moral failing. And then there they are on the back of a book with a big endorsement (laughs) and it gets kind of awkward at that point. Um, so yeah, I, I mean, personally, uh, I just reach out personally to the people that I have endorsed my book and not that they're all perfect, but I'm pretty comfortable with, with any of them, uh, vouching for me. So yeah, you're, it's important to make sure that, uh, you don't, that you're pretty selective when it comes to that process. Right. Well, it's also not necessarily the publisher's job. Uh, and th- this is what something I'll tell people too. like the publisher's not a church. Um, right. It's not. It's not necessarily their job to guard the doctrine. Like, like in a sense, they're they're an avenue for getting arguments out into the public, and allowing public discourse through published material. And you know, this is my take, right? Like, Twitter is actually not a great place to try to theologize. <laughs> you know, like it's an understatement, right? Yep. Yeah. So chapters and books are a great place to theologize because you can, you can go in depth and, um, and then, so in a way I'm actually thankful for publishers, even though there are people publishing things that I wouldn't agree with. There's also a part of me. It's like, but, but I would rather there be a flea throwing of a free flowing discussion than like a gatekeeper mentality in the publisher world. Yeah, no, I hear you. And it's like, I, it's been a little disorienting recently because we've seen a lot of uh, impulses on, you know, all over the spectrum, theologically, politically, to kind of silence things that you disagree with, right? Right. Um, and I don't know whether it's just my Gen X heart, but I'm like, man, like freedom of speech, man. Like, I don't, I don't get worked up when there are books out there that I think are absolutely atrocious. Uh, I mean, we should still be printing Mein Kampf, right? Because it's part of history and people need to encounter these ideas to understand how terrible they are, right? right. So, I mean, on a very much smaller scale within the theological world, hey, I, I, um, let's, let's engage ideas, not try to get rid of them, if that makes sense. Just because the, the alternative to engaging ideas is to try to ban them, and that's always dangerous, as we can see from history. Yeah, 100%. There's a reason why Brave New World, 1984, that hideous strength, um, those those books are all in that line of like, you know, some kind of authoritarian overreach that prevents mm-hmm. the free flowing of ideas, and you know they they show the detriment to that 
Um, all three, by the way, are really great books, by the way. But I imagine even if, um, you know, they're, they're, it's not their job to necessarily guard, like, you know, um, all things, but is there, I imagine that they do have some kind of philosophy, right? Pub- publishers, or is it kind of, because I don't exactly oh, sure. know how the publisher world works. Yeah, no, absolutely. And of course it varies. Like if you get you know, something like Random House, which is a huge secular publisher, and their name is Random House, meaning they publish random. all kinds of random topics. <laughs> yeah. right? Okay, that makes sense. Yeah. So it's pretty wide open. Whereas you know, I work for Moody Publishers, obviously we have our, and should have our theological distinctive. So we're not going to publish a, you know, a health and wealth prosperity guy <laughs> mm-hmm. or um, someone who doesn't believe that Jesus was divine or, you know, mm-hmm. you, you name it. Um, and that's important because we have our theological distinctives. At the same time, I'm grateful for the, the the variety of publishers out there because like we talked about, hey, it's a free marketplace of ideas and we need to yeah. engage uh, engage these ideas. Yeah, you're just saying like we don't have to silence those publishers. Right, exactly. Yeah, and I just, I don't know, I, I kind of see this like changing, especially among the younger generation, this idea that if you don't, you know, that words are violence and that if you don't like ideas, you try to shut people down or get the publisher to pull it or get the person's job taken away that mm-hmm. wrote it. Right, and I'm right. going, guys, come on, man. Like I, I'm online all, all day and I see a thousand things that I think are absolutely abhorrent as far as, you know, ideas and stuff. And I, I, not once have I said, you know what, let me try to get that person fired. Or mm-hmm. <laughs> let's get their book pulled or something. Because, uh, well, incidentally, too, when you try to get books pulled or banned or anything like that, you just make them better sellers anyway. I wish people would burn my books, honestly. That would be beautiful. I was about uh, to say, this is your new marketing <laughs> approach. <laughs> you, you, get, you get like five really angry young people to, to go on a crusade mm-hmm. um, on your book. And then, you know, you just – that. And then pretty I could, soon, right? I could start an uprising and we can yeah. burn 5 million books. How does that sound? Oh, yeah. <laughs> that sounds beautiful. So I'll, I'll provide the matches. <laughs> I'll get the matches. <laughs> yeah, this is great. We'll, uh, Best-selling author, New York Times. We'll, we'll coordinate it into 13 districts. Yeah. Yeah. Man. Well, one arena. Wait a minute. How did you become a best-selling <laughs> New York Times author? Oh, book burning? Oh, that's great. My next book will say banned in Las Vegas. Yeah, that'll right. be the, I'll put that right on the cover. Oh, that'll sell. Oh, that'll sell. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. That, that, yeah that'll sell. Um, well, see, that's interesting. Again, we didn't talk about that pre-discussion, but, um, you know, I, I think, Drew, just from being a bookseller, so obviously a different lane than what you were in, um, I think there is a lot of confusion, though, from the the lay Christian on – publishers and what they're trying to do. And that that's that's one thing I always try to defend publishers on like, hey, just cuz they published a book like like it's it's actually it's the same reason why I'm okay with a defense attorney defending a mass murder. Right? Mm, that right. I don't see the defense attorney as trying to endorse the mass murderer. It's that yep. the defense attorney believes in due process so so much that he works his tail off to give the best defense. You know what I mean? And there's that separation yeah. from, Hey, there, this is the goal and the mission. And I can separate my personal agenda in order to make sure justice is served rightfully, mm-hmm. you know? Right. Yeah. Oh, that's a good way of putting it. Yeah. Absolutely. And then it, and I get it. It's, it's uncomfortable to have, you know, bad books out there and, 
I have to confess, I I used to. I'm much more mature now. But I'd go into bookstores and I'd take all the books I didn't like uh, by more liberal scholars and stuff, and I'd I'd shelve them backwards so people couldn't see the spine. Um, <laughs> hold on, hold on. Did, did you say we shouldn't do that? Oh, hold on. I may. I got to take a note here. <laughs> Kyla, we got to go to Barnes and Noble tonight. That was just that was my confession. Okay, I'm uh, just getting it off my gosh. chest. Yeah, but I, yeah, I would say like it's uncomfortable to have bad ideas out there and bad books. But what's the alternative? <laughs> right? Yes, the alternative. Uh, having someone uh, say what can or can't be published is is a little scarier, in my opinion. Agreed. Well, and the Holy Spirit's really good at leading people into truth. Absolutely. Yeah. So that 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 brings us to your book. Which one thing that. You know, I think about like if somebody wrote a book different from your book, like there's also like, but kind of with the same goal, there's an avenue to where your book is, is very, like very practical in a way of helping somebody um, actually understand how to wisely go about serving and getting involved. You know what I mean? And so to me, there's like, when it comes to wisdom, there's, there's many avenues of wisdom because each of us are unique enough, you know, that that's there's, you know what I mean? It's not like there's just one way to do some things. There's one way. There's only one way to the Lord. That's through Jesus Christ. But outside of that, the, right. there's, there's actually a lot more freedom and nuance um, and, you know, wisdom required to, to walk in a, in a, in a good way. And so, yeah. 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 Well, it's true. And it's so, that's the, the crucial thing about ministry, too. It's so context-specific, right? Um, the way you're going to live out your, your Christian faith is going to be quite different in America as opposed to Europe, as opposed to Africa, right? So, um, and then, of course, even within uh, countries that, you know, communities are different and life stages are different, and that's where wisdom comes in. It doesn't change, of course, the fundamentals of the Christian faith and what you have to believe and um, embrace. But, yeah, as far as living it out, there's a lot of uh, wisdom needed for everyone. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. In your book title, um, you know, in the, in the parentheses, it says a guide for exhausted Christians. Um, <laughs> yeah. Who in your mind, can you define that exhausted Christian in, in, in light of like, you know, walking in wisdom. So is that the context context that you're writing in? Yeah, that's a good question. It's a, I was thinking of myself specifically oh, okay. <laughs> <Just> because <laughs> I'm at a, you know, late stage where I'm, you know, middle age now and I'm, you know, busy career, and I got sidelines, and of course, like I've talked about, I got three kids and busy family life, and then you got I got aging parents that you know, um, not that I'm taking care of, but a lot of demands on my time and attention. And you know, part of what sparked this book for me was um, maybe it's a bit of a midlife crisis, but was just looking back to the early days when my wife and I were in seminary, and I we had these kind of big idealistic plans of what we were going to do for God. And, um, and then, and I remember too saying to her, like, listen, we're not going to do the American dream. We're not going to go and live in the suburbs and have 2.5 children and, and a white picket fence. And here we are, you know, 20 years later <laughs> and we've got <laughs> a minivan and a house in the suburbs, a mortgage, um, and three kids. So th- the question then becomes like, and then you're tired too. You don't have the bandwidth that you once did or the free time. Pre- and then the pre- question <laughs> in this stage of life, you, yeah, you hear me, right? Yep, and, yep. And it becomes, okay, God, how can I be faithful now? And the conclusion I've come to is, you know, hey, listen, it's God's job to change the world. He can do that through us. But we don't have to kind of carry that burden. And honestly, it's ordinary faithfulness. It's just showing up. Like I say in the book, 
um, doing the kind of next thing in front of you. And I think the good news is that God can take those little efforts and use them in ways that we can't imagine. Yeah. You just described it. Like that was the thing Re- reading your book. I was like, this is Ecclesiastes. That mm-hmm. this is the, like the first time I read Ecclesiastes, I think I finished it and I was like, okay, check that off the, I read it list. I have no <laughs> idea what I just read. Um, and you know, like after reading it 20 times, you're like, every time I read it, I'm like, wow, this is like so easy. It's profoundly, but, but that's what your book is. It's like, God's in heaven. You're not, you can't control those things. Just like go plod, go. And I, I love that example of plotting, just get out and start plowing, just show up. Um, yeah. I don't want to steal your thunder. Yeah. No, no, no. I, yeah. I, and I think, I mean, when I was talking about plotting there, I was thinking of the, you know, of the great missionary, William Carey, father of modern missions. Um, and I just love the quote he has. He says, I'm going to butcher it. I don't have it in front of me, but something about, I don't have any special talent, but mm. I can plod. Mm. Right. And it's like, man, that that's the key because I think, especially in our time, when you, you go online, you see people blowing up and seemingly overnight becoming these big deals or having this huge impact. It can be a little, little frustrating and, and uh, discouraging because you kind of go, God, did I miss the memo? Like what happened? I thought I was going <laughs> to uh, do more or be more. Um, and I think that's dangerous though, because first of all, often what you see online is an illusion anyway, and you're just looking at people's highlights um, or, or people are inflating what's really going on in their life. But furthermore, ultimately, if you're going to have a life of, of impact and a life that's going to count for God, it's going to be in that plotting sort of um, approach to life where you are just faithful day in and day out. And then over time, like it did for William Carey, because of course he had an incredible ministry, um, it adds up. Um, but that's the chance to be faithful. Hey, I'm not going to make much progress maybe today or even this week or this month, but over the years, God is going to use this uh, for his glory. Yeah, I love that. Um, there's, uh, you, you, I'll quote you here for a second. Um, cause you, you said, uh, it's about moving through life with a commitment to attend the most important things, mm. uh, which, yeah. is, which is actually like, um, right. Which is, which is one sentence, but that's like a, that's like a huge concept. Mm-hmm. Um, mm. because, and, and I don't, so I don't know, like, you know, I, I know you were talking about this exhausted Christians, but I think you, you nailed this context, right? Cause we are living in a day and age where it's almost like there's almost this drive to, if you didn't do something extraordinary, then you didn't do something to exalt God. Mm, but, yeah. but, but what you're, but what you're arguing is like, listen, what, what I hear you saying is organize what are the important things in your life and, and just start showing up to those. Yeah. And I think actually the cruel irony sometimes is that by trying to do something really big for God or get like really well known or do something extraordinary, we can actually miss the calling on our life because that can distract us from the people that God's placed right in front of us. Right. Yeah. I mean, I, I see people that are like, Oh, I'm going to be a voice to the nations, and I'm like, man, you're not even loving your neighbor. Right. You're not even there for your family. You're not, you know? um, and so, and I, and I, 
I'm not trying to be critical. I think we can all fall into this and, and I understand how that happens. But man, here's the truth is that most of us, the majority of our impact is going to come uh, through the people that, that are in our immediate vicinity in our lives. And as we invest deeply in a few people, that's where the majority of our, our impact will come from. And even you think of Jesus, I mean, yeah, he spoke to the multitudes, but he spent the majority of his time with 12 dudes. Right. Um, and, and so I think, I think it's a good message for people, especially younger people. Cause you see these studies where they talk to like 20 year olds and they think like a quarter of them think that they're going to be famous by 25. And you're like, what? (laughs) Um, it's just this wild, wild, um, expectations they have for their life. And then when that doesn't pan out, there can be a real disillusionment. But I, I just want to encourage people of all ages really is, you know, be okay with just focusing on the people right in front of you and the needs God's placed in your life. And if there is going to be some broader impact to your life, it's likely going to be, it's going to come through investing in those people and in just doing the next thing that God's placed in front of you. Yeah, that's, uh, I was, I'm reading Churchill's biography. I read like a hundred pages once every six months. So it's, yeah, I'm on a 10 year plan to finish it. But it's interesting because Churchill kind of wanted to be a politician, but he didn't know he was going to be thrust into World War II. Mm. Um, and there's a sense in which he just kind of like, hey, what do I need to do now? And let me do it now. And kind of tackled each day's problems. And through that, he was a learner, right? So he kept refining his thinking. He would learn. He would fail. He would learn. He would, you know, and he was very resilient in that he would get up and go back to his job the next day. Uh, mm-hmm. which And so almost like whether, no matter like whether he's being criticized or not, he would just get back up and get, get back at it. And I mean, I, you know, like all of us, there's some insecurities there as well through that process. But for the most part, he, he strikes me as somebody plotting who ends up in this yeah. like right situation at the right time. But you wonder, would he have been the same guy he was? Like, I don't think he'd have been a good leader had he not had those years of plotting, mm-hmm. right? And those, oh, 100%. Yeah, yeah. I think we get uh, obsessed with uh, the perfect, and you, like you said, you're, you're missing, you're missing opportunity. And we have a saying at Cornerstone, you know, and that we Jason and I picked up from a seminary prof: um, repetition is the key to learning. And uh, we think about repetition as just like saying things over and over, but actually in our lives, repetition matters. If you think about the world-class bodybuilder, it's, it's, it's how many reps he put in to get there. Mm-hmm. Um, and I, I love, uh, maybe you can talk about this a little bit, because you talk a little bit about in your book, uh, quality. Like uh, quality is just, uh, and maybe you can even clarify that quality you talk about quality, uh, the obsession with quality, and really, uh, mm. how would you actually define that, right? Um, and I think, yeah. You, yeah, you say something to the nature of like showing up. So, yeah, no, it's so true, and it's yeah. One, you know, to the point about Churchill and about the repetition, which is such a great, great insight. <laughs> um, it's often in those failures and in the years of frustration that you're being prepared for what God wants you to do. Um, and the, the example I talk about in the book is, is Moses. And, you know, he gets, he, he, he starts out with this fancy Egyptian education and he's going to be, he's going to liberate his people. Seems he has some desire to do that early on. And then he lands in the wilderness for 40 years, tending sheep. And, um, I'm sure it was, a uh, he probably wondered what happened to his life, 
But I, I look at that and I go, man, God was using that. He was humbling him, first of all. Uh, he was teaching him patience for the, for the job he would have leading Israel through the wilderness. Um, he was teaching him leadership lessons, I'll bet, just in, in tending sheep. That's a pretty good leadership lesson right there. Um, and then it's in the process of actually doing that. He's just tending sheep when all of a sudden God shows up in the burning bush and calls him. Um, and I love that. And, of course, he says, man, I, I'm not articulate. I can't do this job. Uh, and, and yet God didn't care. God wanted someone who could walk with his people, uh, not some brilliant order. So you're absolutely right. I think that, that those kind of like the, the setbacks and the failures and the discouragement, God uses all of that in our lives and in our calling. Um, if we keep showing up, that's the other thing though, because yeah, you can't get discouraged and you can't quit. And you referenced the thing about quality time. I talk about that in the book. You know, I, I was talking mainly in the context of parenting, you know, people talk, talk about, oh, you got to have quality time with your kids. And some people take that and they go, okay, I can work 80, 90 hours a week. And then I just have an hour where I sit down with my child and have a play a game on a Saturday and we had quality time. And I'm kind of going, and eh, you know what? I think that's overrated. I think most quality time comes in the quantity time. That is just mm-hmm. spending a lot of time with people, right? Whether it's in ministry, parenting, friendship, it's like getting together, no agenda, no objective for the meeting but you're just hanging out. And in the context of that kind of time spent together, the real memories happen. And often it's, you know, it's just eating a meal together or it's cleaning or it's fighting or it's whatever, (laughs) but there's no replacement for that kind of physical presence for extended periods of time with people. And that's one of the lies that we tell ourselves, you know, in, in the interest of being super efficient is that we can just kind of, um, spend a minimal amount of time with folks uh, to, to accomplish something. And that counts as much as spending a lot of time together. Oh, but man, good. there's no replacement for physical, physical presence. See, that's really good because, you know, I, I do see um, on, you know, this kind of mindset of uh, I got to give my kids memorable memories. Uh, mm-hmm. But what's interesting is when you talk to, to somebody that, that grew up in a broken home, um, or somebody who grew up with a, with a workaholic dad, right? It's not, I mean, the workaholic dad would take him out on these memorable vacations once a year, but they're, right. they're almost kind of embittered with their dad because of the 98% of the time that they didn't see him. Mm-hmm. Right. Mm-hmm. And so there's the reverse to, to your point. And then the reality is like, yeah, there, there's a sense in which you see the same person every day, hang out with them every day, even if it's just 30 minutes, like that no agenda, it, there's something that happens there. And maybe that's it. Maybe because it's, it's kind of this uncontrolled, right, development. And maybe because we can't necessarily put our finger on it. Maybe that's why we don't see it's important. But what you're saying is so important, like, right, that quantity time is is actually probably more important than the quality time. We've actually seen that in leadership, by the way, Jay. I don't know if uh, you, you noticed that, but you know, sometimes we think, gosh, we have meetings all the time, yeah. and it's like we don't really have much on the agenda. But there's something about just coming together as leaders and being around each other that's valuable. Yeah, that's true. Yeah. Yeah, I think it's the same for you know uh, church members. Like a lot of people will say, like, why do I have to go to church? Like, I don't really learn a lot from the sermons or I don't like singing or, well, yeah, but it's just, I mean, it's about being around your brothers and sisters in Christ, right? Yes. Um, Checking in with each other. That's sort of regular touch point where you, where you get together and you fellowship and you get to 
hey, how are you doing? You want to hang out after? Do you want to go for lunch? <laughs> that kind of thing, right? Mm-hmm. right? So yeah, it's so important. So important. Well, you you did a you did a good job too of um, the be a long haul hero. Uh, that chapter I really really kind of enjoyed, and uh, you brought up some good points even um, with a little bit of the, um, you know, this kind of okay, I browse a lot. And and I think there is a deception there just because you browse a lot. Um, I've, I've noticed that there are some guys that, that are on Twitter and social media a lot and, and they, they start to view the world through this kind of like social media culture and context. And it's almost like then they get into the local village and there's almost this like assumption that the local village is what they're reading on Twitter. And so, right. The mom sitting next to him who's, who's married to the other guy is actually a feminist in his mind, but it's cause he doesn't know her. And in some level he's maybe projecting his Twitter, his Twitter scrolling onto him. Yeah. Yeah. That's so true. And like, People have to be reminded repeatedly, Twitter is not real life yeah. uh, or Facebook or, you know, I mean, it is in a sense, but it can distort things to the point where I think the problem with social media, of course, I'm on social media. I'm not saying it's all bad, but is it reduces people just to their opinions, often their political opinions. Right. Right. And it robs you of context. It's kind of like, um, you know, someone said of pornography that the problem isn't with, with pornography isn't that it shows too much, but it shows too little because mm. what you have are you know, sex acts robbed of romance, of intimacy, of commitment, <laughs> you know, yeah. um, and, and social media is kind of simple in that sense because what you have are just people's opinions robbed of, of context. So you see some, you know, crazy liberal, but you don't see the loving mother who uh, has maybe a uh, disabled child that they care for, right? Or, or you see some mega nut job uh, instead of uh, a guy who is, you know, a great neighbor and a solid dude, right? So you don't, you, you don't see their life. You just see their opinions. And then of course you, you get to argue with each other um, without being face to face. And you end up saying things and taking an approach that you'd never take if you were sitting down having coffee. And when you're right, when that gets important, imported into the local church context. And yeah, you kind of assume that, man, okay, these people around me share these opinions that I find really troublesome. And instead of leading with relationships, you kind of want to go toe to toe with folks and that's just a, a recipe for disaster. And, and so the degree to which we can resist that as a church and we can say, Hey, listen, we might disagree on some things, but we've got a common commitment in Christ that should supersede all the other ones. Uh, and we can, we can kind of hatch out the rest, but let's, let's not rob each other of, you know, seeing each other as bearers of God's image in Christ um, and, and brothers and sisters in Christ. That should come first. Uh, amen. Yeah, it's it's actually interesting. Um, when you think of people next to you as righteous because they have faith and children of God and valuable human beings, whether they're believers or not, it's really actually easier to love that person and show per that person respect and value. Mm. So that even if you are sitting next to the the villainous political adversary that you read on Twitter. <laughs> Right. Instead of now having a disposition of drawing a sword, there's actually now like a disposition of, hey, I actually want to care for you now. Right. 
And and you're less, you're actually less concerned about winning the political war and you're more concerned with like, Hey, how can, how can I help you understand Christ? And is there anything I can serve you and pray for you for? You know what I mean? Like your whole disposition Mm -hmm. changes. Yeah. Yeah. And when you see not only that they're made in the image of God, but that they're also fallen, fallible creatures like you. (laughs) Hopefully you have a a little more grace for them. Um, uh, Especially, you know, when it, when it's a fellow brother and sister in Christ, you can say, man, uh, we might disagree on some things, but uh, let's, let's focus on what we do agree on. Amen. So in your, in your approach plotting, cause, cause we kind of talked about it, but just to define it, what you would, what you would tell an individual. Um, so one of my pre questions was how do you teach your kids to do this? So they start off with a good foundation. Mm-hmm. What you would teach your kids is, is to start just, Hey, you, you love the Lord. You, you placed your faith in Christ, you know, and you're, maybe your kid says, okay, now how, what do what do I do with this church relationship I have? And so I'll let you kind of define it and take it from there and put it in your own words. Yeah. So I think it, that approach, the plotting approach can be applied to almost every area of life. You know, one thing I talk about in the book is like when it comes to spiritual discipline, um, often, and I understand the impulse behind this, I've had it myself where you go, man, I want to read through the Bible every year, or I want to memorize huge sections of it, or I want to spend an hour in prayer every day. Well, that's great, but often, you know, you make those plans, and then, of course, you maybe do it for a week or two, and then you fall off the wagon, and then you feel guilt, and then you stop doing it altogether. And so one thing for me is just, like, small commitment to, like, hey, just crack open your Bible every day. Uh, you know, even if you only read a couple of verses, that's pretty cool, because if you're doing that consistently, again, that plotting approach, that adds up over time, and then as you establish that habit in your life, then all of a sudden, you're opening it. But then you slip into the groove and you read a couple of chapters, right? Or you have a, a little, like, five-minute prayer time every day, but then maybe it extends and it builds. But you establish that kind of r- rhythm in your life of just constantly communing with God. And I find for myself, just by lowering the bar and just going, hey, Drew, listen, I may not have a lot of time today, but I have enough time to crack open my Bible and read a song, right? right. Um, that, that really helps me. And then when, when it comes to, like, finding God's will, sometimes we give ourselves a head trip and we go, man, I got to look for a sign in the sky or, you know, flip open my Bible to a a place and then look for a direct answer from God. Or, (laughs) you know, we get really weird about, about finding God's will, but the, and some don't get me wrong. God can miraculously direct you. Um, But more often it happens through more ordinary means. And it's just as you, man, you see a need, right. And you start, you take a small step to, to fill that need or, or you have a, you know, someone speaks into your life and says you have a, an ability and you take one small step to use that for God. And then as you start moving in that direction, God guides you. Um, so I, I say in the book, I'm like, man, I, I think we find God's will with our feet. <laughs> so we kind of start, you know, in obedience to him, start taking small steps and then he guides us into our calling. So I think it kind of applies to every area of life. It's tough with kids, though, too, because it's like they're young, they don't understand everything, and you're you're trying to get them to you know, the, the corner we're trying to turn right now because our kids are still young is like, hey, listen, this isn't just mom and dad's faith. You know, we want you to be grabbing your Bible and, and, and reading it by yourself, talking to God on your own. Um, and and again, though, it's just through those little practices uh, that, that start small, but ultimately add up to a lot. Man, I don't, I didn't record how long your answer was, but that is single-handedly one of the best advice and maybe the best two minutes of explanation 
probably in the history of mankind. Wow. <laughs> and, and, whoa, whoa, right. whoa. See, and, and this here, guy knows how to plot. Here, here's why. Because, I, man, you are striking the issue, right? Anytime somebody becomes aware of maybe the, a need to change or to do something, you like you tend to look at the person that has plotted for a long time as the hero of that issue, right? Like I want to know theology like R.C. Sproul. And so they buy a thousand dollars worth of theology books. And that first day they read six hours. The next day they're too tired. So they don't read anything. And then day three, they read three hours. And then day four, they go back to playing video games. And you know what I mean? It's like, and it's because like you said, they didn't, they're really, they, though though their end goal may have been okay or good, you know, let's say it was good. Let's say there's nothing wrong with that goal. Even though in my head there was probably something wrong with it. Um, right? Like you, you really kind of tried to bite off more than you know how to chew. And so what you're saying mm-hmm. is like, it's actually a better approach. Like, hey, just kind of start digging in and doing, right? Like, yeah. like hey, I moved to this new town and I'm going to this new church, but I don't know anybody and I know pastorally because I've heard people say, well, nobody reached out to me. And I've also been like, well, you, you came into church five minutes late. You left at the benediction and yeah, you've, not right. come, you've not come to a single Bible study. How was how anybody supposed to come talk to you? Like, right. why didn't you, you know, hey, uh, church is from 10 to 1130, but I'm going to stay till 1230 this week. And... I'm going to like go talk to some people after the service. Like, why didn't you do that? You know what I mean? And so it's interesting. Like if, cause again, you can start small. You don't have to share your whole life. You don't have to stand up and be like, Oh, you know, my, we're, we're running from an abusive spouse. You know, like you can just stand up and be like, Hey, uh, we're here this week. Tell me about yourself. You know what I mean? Like, you, mm-hmm. yeah. I mean, when you start dating somebody, yeah. it's, you start small. Right. <laughs> you hope. Yeah. yeah, you hope. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I always started small because I didn't want to waste a lot of money. You know, so coffee was a great first date because it was like, if it's not going to work out, then I don't want to spend more than 10 bucks on this thing. So, <laughs> okay, you're talking, you're talking about the amount you're, you're investing in this relationship. Well, I was about- just talking about, I was just talking about a first date. Like, <laughs> I'm not going to go, like, we're not going to go do steaks and movie. Like, right, right. right. I, I, you okay. know, I can't live up to that all the time. So, I got to. Yeah, yeah. Uh, I started small dating because I just didn't want to scare her off. So that's <laughs> right. Exactly. Let's do 10 minutes. If you can put up with me for 10 minutes, maybe next time you can do 20. Yeah. <laughs> there you go. Yeah. Frog but, in the kettle. <laughs> right. Right. See, but I think, I think that's your wisdom in this, right? Like, um, that, I think maybe that's even why that couch to 5k app was so popular because it got people running. It, it was that like, Hey, I want to go run five miles. And five hours later, you ran your five miles, and then you're dead the rest of the week. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yep. yeah. It's a lottery. Yeah, the, it's yeah, a lottery mentality. Um, oh right? yeah, yeah, that's a like, good way yeah. to put it. Yeah, the lottery mentality is like, yeah, if you want to get rich, you know, it's so easy you just buy a lottery ticket. And yeah, just strike radius. <laughs> but the, you know, the person yeah. that's been saving and investing for for twenty years, they they don't they don't realize that. Oh, you know, it's not easy. It takes takes little bits of investment here and there, and. Yeah. Next thing you know, you look back and you're like, whoa, where did this money come from? Yeah. yeah. So, yeah, that's good. Yeah. Um, in, in this discussion, too, though, is kind of the understanding of, of um, understanding what is important and choosing those. In, and, and kind of, even if you start small, saying, hey, I need to prioritize 
um, this small thing. Yeah. Yeah. Um, That's right. Yeah. And so I, I talk about like, okay, you got to show up for the, you know, show up in your life, but you can't show up for everything, right? If you're trying to do everything, it's going to be impossible. And so there is a, a, a space or a need for prioritization where you go, okay, God, what, what in this stage of life can I actually, what can I drop? What commitments can I offload? Um, and of course, I'm not talking about like, if you're a parent, you got a parent, if you've got a job, you got to show up for that. But I think there are a lot of things where you take things on that, that maybe sap your, your energy and your ability to show up for the most important things. And so one thing, you know, that I've, I've struggled with this, um, is when I look at a commitment that I've made, I go, if I drop this commitment or had to back out of it gracefully, would my primary emotion be sadness or relief? <laughs> and if it's a relief, often that's a sign that, man, maybe that I took that on and I shouldn't have, or it was fine in a certain season, but now I need to move on. And I've just found that when I do that, especially when I'm prayerful about it and go, God, you know, show me things in my life where I can cut back so I can really focus on the things that you called me to. I've never regretted it when I've, when I've ended up doing that because it does give you more time and attention for the things that matter. I think one of the biggest myths that we have is that we have limitless time and attention. Right? Oh, I I, somehow we think that we can do it all. And I know this is a, an especially kind of pernicious um, temptation for people in ministry. You got a lot of people pleasers in ministry, people that think, man, I want to, um, I can kind of be there for everyone and, and be the hero. Um, and it, it might come from a good place, but of course you're going to burn out. You're going to um, sacrifice, uh, you know, uh, time with your family, uh, the need for rest. And so there's tremendous freedom in just going, God, you're infinite. I'm finite. <laughs> You've right. made me with limitations. And so I'm going to accept those. No, that's really good. I, you know, I wonder too, if there's a little bit of, um, where heart reflections needed too, right? Like, um, mm-hmm. you know, I, I was talking to one mom and, you know, she was talking about her involvement on the PTA and in her discussion of it, I actually thought, you know, you're saying yes to the PTA is actually the right thing to do because you did have the time, energy and resources to do it. But then there's also the, their, their PTA mom allure, which I've noticed, right. And I mean, I'm guessing you've noticed it too, right. Where there are some moms that are like, that it's like, Hey, probably the wisest thing for you to do would actually not to be the PTA mom here. And it doesn't devalue you. You're not, you're not less of a mom. You're not, you know, you're just as priceless and valuable and exceptional as Julie, who's the PTA president for three years running. You know what I mean? Like, yeah. yeah. And by the way, there were no actual Julies that I thought of at that moment. (laughs) All the names have been changed to protect (laughs) the guilty. Yes. (laughs) But you know what I mean? Like, so some of that maybe is is the hard issue too, where you have to analyze, Hey, why, why is this important? Am I trying to, am I trying to, to have the, the social media influencer perception among this community or am I, you know what I mean? Like, and so how would you make that, how would you encourage somebody to to maybe make that decision before they make that decision? Are there some things we need to think through or? No, I think that's right. I think that's wise too, to kind of consider the hard aspect of this because sometimes you have a big commitment that comes from you wanting to own, to, to have a certain role. Um, and, and it may be that it's, you know, you're tying it falsely to your ultimate identity. 
And I know this can be a tough one, especially in ministry, right? It's like, oh man, I'm, I am the whatever. Um, and so if I lose that role, it's a threat to the core of who I am. And what I encourage people to do is, you know, at some points in your life, you have to disentangle that and you go, actually, okay, well, I do want to do what God's called me to do, but do I have to do it through this avenue or through this commitment or through this role? Um, I mean, in that case, you could be like, okay, I, I feel called to be a great mother, but does that mean that I have to chair the PTA every year? Right. Not necessarily, right? right, right. Um, and, and, and then, of course, ultimately, making sure that you're rooting your identity in who you are as a child of God, who you are in Christ. So you, you aren't as um, subject to the kind of uh, threats to your identity that come from, from not doing certain things. So yeah, it's, it's, it's good to kind of take a clear-eyed look at your life and your commitments, especially if you're overwhelmed, you're exhausted. Uh, maybe ask your, you know, close friend or your spouse, which is great because they can, they, they know you and yet they have a little bit of objectivity. They can see, see your life and, and invite their wisdom on where you can scale back. Um, and again, you're not doing it because you want to be lazy or slack off. It's because ultimately you, you have this finite, precious commodity of time and energy and you want to invest it in the best way that you can um, for, for God's call in your life. Yeah, I think that's, I, I, you're hitting something. I think young people sometimes, they, they say yes to everything and maybe maybe the there's a, a false notion that the more you're involved in, uh, but but I actually have found that the less you're involved in, the better you are at what you're involved in. Mm. You know, I, right. I'm not saying my, my preaching is stellar um, at all. So, uh, but when, 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 we, when, we, when Caitlin and Amber came on board and took off a lot of this admin stuff off my plate and freed me up to do more reading, researching, and thinking about my sermons and spending more time with guys without having to do these like 20 hours of admin stuff. Like it's amazing how much I discovered, Oh, there's actually more work to do here than I thought there was. You know what I mean? It almost kind of let me start to like actually sharpen those knives and use them in a way that maybe is like more beneficial, you know, because before I didn't even have Mm. five hours to, you know, I didn't have 20 minutes to think about my sermons. It was just like pump and move on to the next thing, pump it out, move on to the next thing. Whereas I've noticed like having a little bit, it's interesting. We don't realize this free time actually sometimes frees us up to sharpen our skills at something we should be thinking about and doing, mm-hmm. you know, and if you're, if yeah, that tyranny, so the urgent, right? Like you're running, running, running. You don't ever stop and think like, Hey, wait a minute. Is there a better road for me to take to get to, to get the kids to school? Is there a better way for me to pay the bills? Right. And so like at some point you, you're wasting time, energy, and resources because you're so busy. You don't actually have time to stop and refine the things you do to make them more productive. You know what I mean? Like you got to have some R and D in your own life. You got to have research and development in your own life. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, No. And sometimes you get so busy that you can't even lift your head up and kind of go, where am I going? (laughs) And so um, that's crucial. And then of course, you know, to, to be good at something, you've got to have some degree of specialization in it. You can't, if you're trying to do everything, you're going to do everything uh, poorly, or at least maybe in a mediocre manner. Um, and so it is crucial to carve out that space in your life to really focus on the thing that God's called you to or the things that God's called you to. And I think there's a larger point too. It kind of goes back to what we were talking about with the, 
the approach a lot of people have to life these days is it's kind of like how you approach Netflix and you sit there and scroll for like an hour, not willing to commit to any one show, right? Um, because <laughs> you're like, oh, I, there's so many options yeah. and you're paralyzed by it. Yeah, it's me too. And um, I love what the author Pete Davis, he writes about this. He calls it infinite browsing mode. And he talks about this mm. is how a lot of people approach life where we just don't want to make any commitments to something for fear of losing all the options. Um, but of course, when you do that, the, the trade-off is that you never get good at anything. You never invest deeply in people. You don't, you know, stick around long enough, actually make it in. And so, um, that, that I would rather, yeah, I would rather have one mission that I commit myself to than a million choices, um, open to me because, um, that can be paralyzing and ultimately prevents you from fulfilling the, the call that God has placed on your life. Well, that's so good. That's spot on too. Uh, that's that, the, the craftsman approach, be good at, and yeah. Uh, yeah. And so I know, right. Like the Lord has asked all of us to be craftsmen in the church, whether, whether or not you're a pastor or not, right. Like you're not, you grew up with a, with your dad was a pastor, but, um, but even if I, even if I wasn't a pastor tomorrow, I would, or even today, by the end of the day, I would still have a responsibility to be excellent in the church, right. To be kind of a craftsman with my wife and kids, with my job, um, my neighbor, like, you know, I mean, all those are Luther says vocations that we are called to that have unique responsibilities, um, and yet you don't have to say yes to everything on that. So, right? Yeah, so. I like that that language of craftsman. That yeah, <laughs> to kind of approach um, what you're doing with that kind of intentionality and care. Is there is Good. there a temptation on the other end where uh, you're, that you're see where you're seeing it's not that people are involved in anything, but they're just maybe too overwhelmed to even get involved in the first place? Ooh, that's a good question. Yeah, it is. Yeah, no, I, I, I see that for sure. And again, that kind of underscores the need to maybe scale back if um, if you're too inundated with responsibilities and commitments to even show up for the most basic, uh, important things in your life. Um, but then again, this is kind of where lowering the bar a little bit can come in handy. Like I encourage people, I mean, you guys know church attendance has, has gone down dramatically over the last uh, few years, even since, since COVID. Um, and I, I encourage people to, you know, don't get hung up on, okay, what ministry am I going to do? What am I gonna... Just show up for church. I mean, that's huge in and of itself, right? And like you talked about, like if you show up, especially if you hang around a little bit, you're going to meet people. You're going to get involved. Um, you're, you're going to, that stuff will happen naturally, that you'll get more involved in the church and maybe you start leading in some capacity, but just be careful not to get the cart before the horse. Like, uh, because you know, most people aren't showing up for church. And so if you can do that, that's a huge victory in and of itself. Yeah. I don't know. Maybe I, maybe I don't think about it because even in my life is like a story of wanting to be involved in different communities and organizations. And so I would just show up to get involved and over the course of a couple of years found them electing me to different positions to serve in, mm. in different, different offices. And whether that was the president of, of the intercollegiate Senate or the president of fraternity. Right. But I didn't get involved because I wanted to lead those. I got involved because I, I was interested in them. And then just being there, you learn people, you learn the organization and you have that mm. desire to serve. And it, it's almost like in a way, Right. Like that was the building block 
so that I was leading not because I wanted the authority, but but rather leading because I knew I could serve the organization in this way. Does that make sense? Yeah, totally. Yeah, and I, I think, you know, church leaders are rightfully wary of people that, you know, show up on day one and go, okay, I want to lead. <laughs> like, <laughs> yes. oh, okay, let's uh, let's be a good member here for a little bit. Let's let's hang out and get to know the community, uh, and then let and then let people kind of observe your your leadership gifts and ha- happen kind of organically. Um, <laughs> so yeah. sometimes we want to yeah jump right to the right no. to the role without putting in a little time. I'm glad you said that because you know I actually felt guilty once because because I had a guy that, that visited. And the first time he visited, he was like, you know, I'm moving here from blah, blah, blah. And he's like, I lead a Bible study there for a couple of years. And, and, uh, I'm looking to, to transition my ministry over here and work with another church over here. And I was like, that's a red flag and a half for me. Um, mm-hmm. because of that reason, what you just said, like, man, what, I don't know you, you don't know these people. These people don't know you. Like the, the, the wisest thing for you to do is to come over and get to know these people and if you are the kind of person that should be teaching, because I think a lot of people don't realize teaching is leading. Um, so yeah. if you are the right person to do that, then then that'll show. And your love for these people, they will want you to teach. And so, right. yeah, and I, I think, uh, you know, maybe that's that like, again, I think there's a, it, by the way, the guy's a younger guy. And I think there's maybe something in the younger people that, that maybe maybe we as an older generation have to make sure we're teaching the younger people. It's not about the title. Um, the title doesn't yeah. make you more valuable. The title doesn't make you more godly. Uh, and 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 that I've had to push back on guys a lot of time. Well, you do you actually do holy things all the time at your job because your job actually matters. And it's like no, your job matters too. Like you know yeah. And so you know there's there's part of me like man that the way you said that you don't understand that you don't have a theology of work, but your job matters. And so I, I don't know, maybe that's something we older people have to have to be conscious of and help teach younger guys and, and younger women. Like, Hey, status doesn't make you more valuable. Like, like having a title doesn't make you more valuable. Actually. Again, I, I my heroes tend to be plotters. They're, they're people that you don't mm-hmm. even know. And you're probably never going to know, but they just plotted, you know, they just showed, they were there all the time. They showed up all the time. Uh, sometimes they didn't want to be there. They were, they were like, you know, if I'm being honest, I'm tired. I don't really want to be here tonight. And yet they were there. Um, you know what I mean? Like, and yet they yeah. didn't, they weren't saying yes to everything either. Right. Mm-hmm. It was like, Hey, what'd you, you know, I know you're tired tonight. What are you doing tomorrow? Well, tomorrow night when I get off work, I'm just hanging out with the family for four hours. We'll probably we'll eat dinner and probably all of us just kind of hang out. That's you know what I mean? Like, point. yeah, yeah. Yeah. Cause you, you mentioned in your book, like sometimes authenticity is the goal and you make an argument, um, that maybe that doesn't need to be the goal. Can, can you speak to that? Mm, yeah. So, um, I think that's true too. Yeah. about plotters, when you think of the people that make the biggest impact on your life, when I ask that feel that question, it's usually, it's that like faithful teacher, you know, who helped them or, that pastor who's there all the time and spoken to their life. Um, so that, that's so important. And then, you know, when it comes to, you know, authenticity, I, I have some provocative statements in there talking about authenticity is overrated. And what I mean by that, I think we've just placed such a high premium in our time on the idea of authenticity. Um, and yeah, it's good to some degree, maybe the pendulum, you know, had swung too far the other way in previous generations. 
But basically what I mean by that is like, listen, if you're going to have a role, whether it's pastor, whether you're leading a small group, whether you're a father, whether you're a spouse, whatever it is, there are going to be days when you're not feeling it, right? Mm -hmm. When you don't feel like showing up and doing the the next thing, when you don't feel like continuing to applaud because it's hard or you're discouraged um, or you're not feeling super spiritual. But that's, that's where sometimes, especially when people are counting on you, you need to show up and fulfill that role anyway. And I talk about um, in the book, you know, we had this one experience. My wife had a minor surgery, but we were a little shaken by it. We were in the hospital and we had one of the pastors from the church that we were at at the time come and visit, which is great. But this guy, he shows up and he, <laughs> he plops down in the chair beside my, my wife's bed and he just starts saying, man, I don't know if I'm cut out for ministry. Things aren't going so well at the church. And he just starts kind of unloading all his problems. <laughs> and I was like, dude, I did, you know, I was like, fine. But I was like, we need a man of God here. We need someone to come in and pray for us right. and to reassure us, right? He, and that's fine to be authentic. And if we would have just been having coffee, that would have probably been totally appropriate. Wow. But in that moment, I needed him to don the role of like, hey, I'm a pastor and I'm going to be there for you. Um, and so it was just a good lesson for me in a lot of roles in life. Sometimes you have to ignore your feelings. Sounds bad, I know. But you've got to kind of shelf your feelings when you're not when you're not feeling it and perform a role not in an inauthentic way, but in a way that, that honors what people need from you. And then it's incredible. This is the whole Christian life is that we often, you know, our, our feelings follow our actions. Yep. Right. And so, yeah, I mean, how many mornings do I show up for church and I'm like, man, I'm not feeling spiritual at all. And I got to fight with kids on the way to church and, you know, I was up late and whatever. Then you get there and then all of a sudden you sing a song and then two and all of a sudden, man, all of a sudden now I'm worshiping God and I'm fellowshipping with people and I'm, and I'm being inspired by the sermon, and man, I'm glad I came, right? But if, if I was just going on my actions, I would have stayed home, or my feelings, uh, rather. But it, once you come, and, and then those those feelings often follow, and that's true in a lot of areas of life. Um, so, and again, it just underscores the importance to show up, even when you're not feeling it, even when you're discouraged. Wow. See, that's great. Man, you trigger so many memories. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Yeah, no, you're right though, because that's that's um there there are times where, right? It you know, the Lord recently taught me about lamenting in prayer. You know, all right, Lord, I'm not really feeling like this today, but I know I need to do that. And so you show up and you you mm-hmm. kind of read the room and go, hey, I can't, you know, in this situation, I can't be snarky, jovial, and and you know, try to make like, try to kind of like have fun with it and laugh. Cause I love to laugh, but right. Like, and so you're not, you're actually, you know, yeah. You sometimes you, for, for the sake of other people, you got to read the room and, and adjust to the room to the needs of the room. And yeah, well, I think what you're talking yeah. about there is just good old, uh, good old old fashioned loving people. Like yeah. you show yeah. up and you serve them despite how you feel. Um, mm. it, you know, it's like, I got to do that for my kids. I got to do that for my wife. I got to do that for my brothers and sisters. Um, yeah, it's 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 really loving people. Yeah, right. You're right. That's the heart of it. Absolutely. Yeah, yeah. exactly. Because when you only act that way towards them when you're feeling it, well, you well, first of all, you'll never be a good spouse if you're if you're only romantic and kind and considerate to your spouse when you're feeling that way. Right? You're not going to have a good marriage, or yep. you're only there for your kids when you're feeling it and not annoyed by them. Well, that's going to be hard too. Um, yes. So yeah, it applies in all areas of life, and you're right. Ultimately, it's about love. Yeah, yeah. yeah. No, that's great. I I love it. There's 
you you know you pulled out a C.S. Lewis quote that I was like, oh man, I love. First of all, I love C.S. Um, his inner his inner ring article kind of goes a lot with what you're saying too. That that's what I love about this book. Um, you know, the inner ring he's talking about. Uh, be a craftsman. Don't don't when you get when you get involved in a group. You know, so in other words, let's say you start plotting a church. Don't look at the church and think those guys are the insiders and then try to get inside the into that little circle because that circle actually doesn't exist. But he's like, just show up and, and be basically be a craftsman, be the best at your job. And you're going to find yourself like hanging out with other people that have the same mentality. And that, that's the thing I've noticed too. Like when you're a plotter, you end up rubbing shoulders with other plotters. Right, because at yeah. some point, like, in, in the organ, so when I went to college, I was, a lot of people don't know this about me. When I went to college, I was actually, like, I wasn't very witty, um, and yeah. I was always, like, five minutes behind the conversation, right? So people would be talking, and then, like, five minutes later, I'd be like, oh, I could have said that. And so <laughs> um, it was like, I was, like, socially not very... Uh, not, not that I'm socially not awkward now. I'm probably still socially awkward, but now I'm now I'm comfortable in my skin, and so I'm just socially awkward because it's me. Um, but I'm on point, and so. Uh, but it was interesting, right? I would just show up, and what you'd find is over over a long period of time, you'd realize, hey, these other five people have have been at this meeting for eight months straight. We're the only six people that shows up for eight months straight, and pretty soon you're rubbing shoulders with them. Right. And you find out that they have that same plotting mentality and it's actually, you end up starting to learn from each other and, and hone each other in a way that's actually mutually beneficial. And so that's the thing too, because I, I wonder like some people there, well, I tried going to church or I tried going to that Bible study, but nothing happened. Well, it's like, yeah, you went twice and (laughs) you, you know, and I've even seen people come for the first time and they, and I know what's going on in their life and they get advice from somebody else. And I'm like, Oh Lord, that was not the person to try to get (laughs) advice from. And because they hadn't been coming long enough to realize that person wasn't a plotter either. You know what I mean? Mm -hmm. And so it's like, man, had you come for three or four months and you would have seen who the people in this group you could trust with that information and, and the, that kind of counsel that you're looking for. And so um, you even yeah. just like, I think that's the interesting part. When you plot in a community, you end up realizing who the other plotters are. And, and that right. actually helps you end up having people to, to kind of, you know, to roll around ideas with like, Hey, should I take on this PTA thing or not? You know? And then you have somebody there that's yeah. like, Hey, your spouse is supportive. You've got the time, energy, and resources to do it. You're a type A. You're organized. You'll be great. Mm. You know what I mean? Or you might have somebody there going, ah, Julie, it's just not a good idea for you. Um, mm. You know, like, like, and you're a great person. You don't need to be a PTA mom, you know. Um, mm. Yeah, I wonder. Yeah, anyway. I think there's something to what you're saying. Um, because if you think about how you grow in wisdom, you grow in community. Yeah. And uh, yeah. plotters are those who really are collecting collecting little bits of wisdom as they go along. Um, you're, you're not gonna because if if you're only if you're isolated, you're listening to only your own heart. Yeah. You're never gonna grow. You're never gonna uh, you're never gonna get wise. But if you're amongst other plotters all the time, uh, you know it's like the inklings, right? Like they didn't you didn't, you you're not gonna have um, you're not gonna have uh, uh, Lord of the Rings without the inklings or or or, or, or mm. Narnia. 
And it's because those guys met every day plotting, just working. And um, th there's something about collecting wisdom and collecting uh, insight and rubbing shoulders with people who have the same goals that, um, man, I just I love that idea. Uh, and you think of William Curry, uh, Curry, <laughs> William Carey, and what he he accomplished over over the years, and all he did was just stick to the job. Um, so encouraging, yeah. yeah. Uh, you you must be no, thinking of right, food. Yeah, yeah, curry. Yeah, William, yeah. William, <laughs> was it William yellow William, curry or yeah. red curry? Curry. Yeah, yeah. I, I heard he changed his name to William Penang. Yeah, <laughs> it is eleven thirty, so yeah. I'm getting hungry. Yeah. That's great. <laughs> Delicious. Yeah, yeah, a little Freudian slip. Yeah. No, but I think you raise a good point about the role of community because you're right. When you're a plotter, you know, if if you're just trying to, you know become a big deal overnight well you don't have time and room for community or seeking input from others right. um whereas if you're a plotter and you're committed to the long haul uh to do what god's placed in front of you then you seek out community and then and like the bible says like there's safety in the multitude of counselors mm -hmm. and we need that like mm -hmm. and try to figure out what you're supposed to do or god's will for your life or even you know particular commitments you should take on that's too big a job for just one person you need other people especially because you have access to people that are older and wiser or people that, you know, see you and your gifts accurately, um, like you were saying, Jason. And so to avail yourself of that is just is really wise. Um, and, and, of course, that's what the, the body of Christ can do so well. A lot of people are just kind of going it alone in life, but especially for younger people, I encourage them, man, plug into a community of believers. And um, not only will you bless them, but they will bless you in incredible ways. Yeah. And, and, you know, especially for younger people, uh, older people, though, some of their ways may seem archaic or out of, out of tune with technology, like understand why they do what they do, because there's actually a lot of wisdom there that, yeah, they may not be using an iPad for what they're doing, but there's a wisdom that's come from their many years of plotting. You know what I mean? Like, yep. don't be scared. Don't, I wonder like a lot of younger people kind of have this, even when I'm at the coffee shop and they'll talk about, you know, okay, boomer. And it's like, yeah, that's the, <laughs> that's the narrative. But, but if you were actually talking to a boomer, you might discover that they're not the narrative. Mm -hmm. You might discover that right. the narrative is a caricature and not actually real. Um, yeah. Yeah. Right. Yeah. yeah. In the same way that, that, there's a prior caricature about the young person being entitled and lazy and that's right. You know, <laughs> right. So that's, true too. that's yeah. the beauty yeah. of fellowship, right. Is that you, you confront those caricatures and those distortions when you actually get to sit down and speak to different people in different phases of life and different generations. And uh, a lot of those things get corrected. Yeah. There was a documentary I watched that was put together by Nancy Pelosi, um's daughter. Hmm. Uh, I can't remember I her first name. Yeah. Uh, so it's Nancy Pelosi's daughter, and she was trying to um, learn about Trump followers, and so she was down at all these Trump rallies, rubbing shoulders with them and getting to know them, and and she actually made a really interesting observation. She was like, you know, you can say what you want um, from the about these people from afar and through the media, but when you actually like spend time with them, she said, I discovered that people don't hate in person. Mm. And mm. she was like, it's hard mm. to hate in person. And she was getting at this point of like, there's, there's a, there's a meta narrative that is, that is different from actually when you s sit down with these people. And she was like, these people, 
she was like, every night I was invited to somebody's house for dinner and I took him up on it. And she's like, you end up uncovering that, that these are real people and that there's a lot of really good people out there. And it was right. It was that it's, it's a, kind of what we're talking about. You face to face with people, you start to realize, Oh, these caricatures and perceptions and isms that I maybe have, um, that maybe influence a bias or influence my perspective are actually wrong. When I sit down with you and talk to you face to face, it's kind of cool. Yeah. Yeah. And you know what, this is where the church is so important because the world doesn't have the, the, the means often for correcting those biases and, and getting people together in person. Whereas the church is kind of the last bastion of physical presence and community and fellowship. Um, and so, you know, when, when we gather together, we can really be a countercultural example of that, where it's like, hey, we don't just argue with each other online. We're going to get together and love each other and, and <laughs> encounter real people in real life. Amen. Yeah. So that's, that's exciting. Oh, yeah. that is exciting. Yeah. <laughs> Amen, brother. Well, hey, Drew. <laughs> um, yeah, seriously, not you're not a pastor, but uh, may have you come preaching because that was better <laughs> than go. I could do. Awesome. Um, <laughs> <laughs> So I appreciate your book. Uh, it's, it's Cornerstone's November book of the month. Um, I'm going to, oh, I'm I, honored. Thank you. Yeah. I have, um, Gina and I have a copy. I have an extra free copy that I will Ooh. give to somebody who, um, approaches me at Bible study. Oh, okay. Or the, or they can approach you, Gino. Okay. Cause I don't go to all the Bible studies Yeah, yep. and you don't go. So if you approach Gino or I and ask for the free copy uh, at Bible study, so you got to plod to the Bible study. Yep. Yep. Um, and so, uh, I feel, yeah. So I got a free copy for somebody and they can, they can have it if they ask you or I. Yeah. Do um, I count? No. <laughs> I'll be there. Do you have a copy? <laughs> That's true. I do. Yeah. <laughs> I have another one. Yeah. He's, he wants two copies, yeah. which one for the left and right hand. So, um, <laughs> yeah. So, uh, I would encourage anybody to pick this up. Excellent book. This is the kind of book that, um, one, if you're already a plotter, I think it's good to read about what you do. Um, cause at some point we have to teach other people how to be plotters as well. And so, um, I actually like reading about things that I already do because it helps me articulate what I do to other people. Um, and two, it's a, it's a good book for somebody who maybe just came to faith. Maybe you don't know how to get involved. Maybe you don't know where to start. And that could, that could not just be church. I could be at work. Um, it starts by honestly, you got to show up for your job. Like yeah, if they hire you, point. you need to show up. Like <laughs> that's a good, like, yeah. You're not going to have your job long if you don't keep showing up. So, um, but, but this is a great book really, I think for anybody who walks life, either, even a mom, um, you know, stay at home mom or homeschooling. Uh, yeah, I think you're right. Like when we say lower the bar, we're not saying don't pursue excellence. Mm. We're saying probably set proper expectations for when you get started. Yep. Exactly. Yeah. yeah. See, well yeah, I appreciate you, Drew. Um, I, I need you to come uh, next time you're through Vegas or I'm in Portland. Like we got to get together. So have some. Absolutely. Laughs. Yeah, absolutely. So. And I have to make the obligatory joke that what happens in Vegas stays in Vegas. Right. This is true. This is why we don't talk. Uh, <laughs> this is why we don't talk about ministry a lot on the, on the podcast. <laughs> there you go. So because our listeners <laughs> in Germany and Croatia, which, um, I was shocked by when I looked at the numbers uh, oh, cool. that I can't tell them too much because they're in Germany. So, yeah. Right. <laughs> so um, if you're listening to this in Germany, uh, I'm guessing, you know, English. And so you can get the English copy. Has it been translated in Germany into German yet? 
I don't believe so. Okay. That'd be cool, though. Yeah, not yet. That'd be really cool. <laughs> well, let's make it so popular in Germany that it has to be translated yes, into German. I like it. Awesome. Yeah. Awesome. All right. Well, I'm going to close the podcast out, Drew, and then uh, after after close the podcast out, uh, we'll we'll say goodbye on on. Um, so let me let me get this thing closed out, and then um, awesome. Yeah. So hold on one second, guys, and Anthony's going to close us out, and here you go. <laughs>